Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own doctor. Breast cancer, it could be your mom, your sister, yourself, your auntie. Women have an approximately one in seven or eight chance of developing this in their lifetime. Early detection is the key to survival, and these days there's no excuse for not keeping up with your scheduled screening testing. Dr. Laura Grininger, breast cancer expert and surgeon at Kaiser Permanente, is in the studio with us today, and we're going to discuss all the latest in breast cancer prevention, treatment, and care. Now, this is a recorded show, so we hope you'll listen in to some very important information for both you and your loved ones. Now, breast cancer is the second leading cause of death, cancer, and cancer death in women, and Hawaii may have a lower rate than the mainland, but in certain areas, such as neighbor islands, there are significantly more cancer deaths than here in Honolulu. Someone you love on the list? Well, early detection makes it easier to treat and can help people with breast cancer live longer. Although most of the cases are in women, a few rare cases can occur in men, too. We're going to explore the process of screening. Who is at risk? Which test is best? And what happens if something is found on the study? We're going to be talking with breast expert and surgeon from Kaiser Permanente, Dr. Laura Grininger, and she's here ready to share her expertise with us. Dr. Laura, welcome to The Body Show. Hi. Um, actually, it's Lisa Grininger. Lisa. All right. We will make sure that I call you Lisa. Okay. Maybe Laura is my special name for you. But all right, Lisa, so tell me a little bit about the basics. You know, only about 15% of breast cancer cases are genetic. The rest are really not found in women who have a family history. Are those statistics changing now that more women seem to be diagnosed at earlier stages? Well, I think the for what most women should know is really the biggest risk factor for developing breast cancer is simply being a woman. And we've well, you can't. I mean, I guess you could change. You don't want to change that. Right, I'll just right. put it out there. You right. could, but you don't want to. At least I don't want to. So the biggest risk for breast cancer is being a woman of a certain age. Well, the age, the risk increases as we age. So the older a woman becomes, the higher her risk of developing breast cancer. Of course, as women get older in their 70s and 80s, of course, as you know, there's other um, illnesses that become a lot more common. So most of our cases are actually diagnosed in women in their 50s and 60s, but we do have, um, you know, some diagnosed in 40s and 30s, as well as um, cases diagnosed in women in their 70s, 80s, and even 90s. So when we look at the statistics, more often we will see women in their 50s and 60s get diagnosed, but that does not mean that it can't happen at other ends of that spectrum. Right. Right. Now, when should women start getting mammograms? At what age should they really start to do this in general? I know that, you know, there might be some particular recommendations for certain individuals, but for the average woman, when do they start? Well, for women at average risk, like you're saying, most the American Cancer Society and other societies recommend starting at age 40. There is some controversy about that. The U.S. Preventive Health Services Task Force actually recommends starting at age 50. We know, but we there is very good evidence that for women between age 40 and 50, you do save lives. You do prevent for all, about every thousand mammograms you do, you prevent one woman from dying of breast cancer. So if you start at 40, the recommendation is every year. 
Right. And right. so then you would continue. And is there a, is there an upper limit? At what point can someone say, I just don't want to do this anymore? I mean, I guess they could decide that at any point. But if for an otherwise healthy woman, is there a time when they, they can stop doing them? Well, there's no recommended upper age limit where you reach this particular age and you stop screening. I think most experts would recommend for women that are otherwise in good health and have more than a five-year life expectancy that it's certainly reasonable to continue screening mammograms. And that for some women that may be age 80, 85, or even older. Um, A lot of the discussion now is about shared decision-making. You know, some women will choose to not do mammograms after a certain age, and that's, that's certainly their, their choice. And, and I know that a couple of years ago, I think it was maybe back in 2009, the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force said women could do mammograms every other year. And I know there's a lot of a lot of people I know that said, yippee, that means I mm-hmm. can skip a year because somebody told me I could. But, you know, even if you did go every other year or if you went every year, that doesn't replace self-breast exam. True or false? Well, we there's very good evidence that screening mammograms does catch cancer at earlier stages and definitely prevents women from dying of breast cancer. So do your mammogram. So definitely do your mammograms. There's do your self-exam or not really? Because, you know, some, some places say self-exam doesn't help that much. That's actually been an area of controversy, and the U.S. Preventive Health uh, Services Task Force actually did not recommend uh, self-exams. However, I think most experts really feel that that's helpful and, for example, for women, we do see a fair number of women in their 30s who develop breast cancer. That's, and they wouldn't be doing right, a mammogram. And they wouldn't. And they noticed it because they felt something. Right. And the other thing I think to, to know, that's important to know is about mammograms are the best test we have for screening for breast cancer. But they'll catch maybe 85 90% of breast cancers. So there's probably about 10 or 15% of breast cancers that we won't see, even on very, very good mammograms. Most of those would be detected by self-exams. So I think for most women, it's reasonable to do a monthly self-exam, you know, looking for any, especially over time. You know, what a lot of women say when they first start is, oh, there's lumps all over. I don't know what I'm feeling but after a while, you know, they get used to how their um, tissue feels, how their body feels. And um, I've had many women who've found a very small lump that I could barely feel, but they said, you know, this, is, this feels different. And, um, and the only way to know if it's different is to be checking it on your own anyway. Right. I mean, you'll never know if you've mm-hmm. never checked the tissue yourself. So that's definitely another reason to continue with self-exams. Is there an issue with radiation? I mean, certainly if you decide to do yearly mammograms at age 40 and you continue to do this until maybe you're 80, that's 40 years, mammograms every year, radiation exposure every year, is that a worry at all? Or is the chance that that's going to cause a problem much less than the chance that it could save a life? Well, I think that's a very good question, and that's one that a lot of women will... will, um be concerned about. Of all the imaging studies that we do that involve radiation, the mammography is one of the lowest. For example, it's much less than, say, a chest X-ray and much, much less than like a CAT scan. Um, but there is a small amount of amount of radiation that, um, that does occur with mammograms. As you mentioned, I think the benefit far outweighs 
you know, the potential risk. But that's something to be concerned about. And I think sometimes when women, when we're monitoring something and women say, well, maybe I should do it every six months or every three months rather than once a year, you know, that's something to be to be concerned about. Sure. Nobody wants to get too much radiation. But on the other hand, better that you do the exam less than if you did CAT scans or other sorts of tests. Now, ultrasound is a pretty safe test to do. And sometimes women will be told to do an ultrasound with an abnormal mammogram. What does an ultrasound detect that the mammogram wouldn't detect as well? Is there a unique reason why ultrasound would be used in certain situations? Well, in general, ultrasound's not considered to be a screening study. So it's more a diagnostic study, meaning there's a question, there's a lump or an abnormality, a spot on the mammogram that we want to check out in more detail. And ultrasound can tell us different things. And, you know, it looks at the way sound waves travel through tissue and gives us an image. Ultrasound is a very good test at looking for cysts. And cysts are quite common, and cysts will show up as a round shadow on the mammogram, but the mammogram can't tell us if it's cystic or solid. And if we do an ultrasound and it tells us it's what we call a simple cyst, meaning just fluid with no solid part of it, we can be assured that that's almost 100% benign, and that that can be very reassuring because the cysts are very common, and there are lumps that can come up just overnight. So ultrasound definitely Mm -hmm. has a role. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. I'm here with Dr. Lisa Grininger. See, I got it right this time. We're here in the studio. We're talking about breast cancer because, you know, October is National Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So we want to make sure that women get out there and have their mammogram and also that they and their loved ones understand what the process is to evaluate an abnormal mammogram. Now, this is a recorded show, um, but we're going to continue the discussion, and I, and I know there's a lot of good information that people can certainly glean from listening to what we're talking about. Now, uh, Dr. Lisa, sometimes people mention breast MRI, and I know that in certain circumstances this would be a really good test, but it's not necessarily a recommended screening test. How come, and what does it do differently than your mammogram? Well, breast MRI is a relatively new imaging modality to be applied for the to the breasts, and um, in some circumstances, it's a very good test. It the advantages of, of it is it tends to be very sensitive at picking up breast cancers. Um, probably in some cases, even more sensitive sensitive than mammography. One of the disadvantages is it's not. Um, very specific, meaning it tends to show things that are questionable or abnormal and possibly cancer. So it definitely leads to more biopsies that turn out to be negative. It is recommended for screening for women who are at very high risk, you know, including the women who have, you know, the BRCA genes. It's also used sometimes to look at specific areas on the mammogram where with the mammogram and the ultrasound, we still have some questions. Is this something that um, should have a biopsy? Um, Some of the other disadvantages of the MRI are cost. The cost for each test tends to be about um, $3,000. And that, sure, that makes it a little bit mm -hmm. less accessible to people if they want to do it. But I think, you know, it's almost too good. You know, it shows Mm -hmm. lots of stuff. You Mm -hmm. might wind up having procedures for stuff, that you probably didn't have to 
because it wasn't seen on your standard mammogram. But once you see it, there's a tendency, okay, I mm -hmm. see something over there. Maybe we should go take a look at that, do a biopsy or take a piece of it. It makes it, you know, you wind up, I guess, like you said, with a lot more false positive MRI results that mm -hmm. you do the biopsy, you do the workup and nothing is there. Is there ever any danger? I mean, if you wind up having more than one breast biopsy, if you have several of the same area, that doesn't harm you in any way. That doesn't increase your risk that the area is going to become cancerous. Maybe you get a few more scars, but it's not harmful to do biopsies. Is that right? Well, I guess with any procedure, there's always a small risk. And most of our biopsies now are tend to be more needle biopsies. Um, you know, years ago, 20 or 30 years ago, whenever there was a lump, it was pretty much standard to have a you know, a, a pretty big scar, take the lump out, and even then most of the lumps are benign. Now we've really moved towards um, needle biopsies and image-guided biopsies. So most of the biopsies that are done now are lumps that are too small to even feel, either by um, using ultrasound guidance to, to take a sample or sometimes a mammography, what we call a stereotactic biopsy. We still occasionally do... Uh, needle biopsies for lumps that we feel, um, but we've moved away from the surgical biopsies. There's not any, with any biopsy, there's a small, I guess it will leave a tiny little scar, like a needle scar. There's always some discomfort that's involved, and so we'd want to consider that. Probably very small risk of infection, but that risk would be very rare. There's no evidence that actually doing a biopsy would cause cancer, so, you know, in general, with mammograms, we also recommend that people do them at, at similar facilities. So when we talk about doing a mammogram screening and then diagnostic and or we mentioned ultrasound and we mentioned MRI, there is an advantage to doing it at the same place or, in fact, having your old mammograms with you. Mm -hmm. Does that historical list of previous mammograms really help when you're looking at the latest one from this year? Oh, it's very, very helpful. And as most facilities now have moved towards digital mammograms, where it's on a computer disc rather than actually a, a film. Um, it makes it much easier to transfer that information. So say, for example, in Honolulu, if a woman has her mammogram at Queens and then her insurance changes and the next year she has it at Straub or at Kaiser, it's, it's pretty easy to a procedure to have the images transferred, but it is, like you said, always important to review the mam the previous mammogram to see if there's any um, any changes or anything new that's come up, or if there's a a spot there. If it's been there for the past few years, then that would be more reassuring that that's not anything that would require a biopsy or anything to worry about. So having your previous mammograms could, in some cases, spare you doing a biopsy because. Somebody can look and say, you know, look, that's looked the same for five years now. Chances are that's nothing to worry about. Right. So it's really that important to make sure you have your previous ones available, either at the time you do your mammogram or shortly thereafter. Right, right. And to know, remember where they were done, you know, say if you've moved between states. It almost makes it seem like a good idea to kind of keep them with you and keep them on a disc and have them available because, mm -hmm. like you mentioned, people's insurance changes. They go to different medical centers, but some people move away. And so keeping them on your own personal disc doesn't sound like a bad idea. Um, a lot of people do that. It's kind of considered standard in the imaging facility for the facility that does the mammogram to keep them for a certain period of time and a, and a record of it. 
So usually if, say, if we have a patient who's had a prior mammogram on Maui or something, it's not, we can usually call the facility on Maui and get the so images sent over. it's not that hard. Over. You can it's get it pretty not quickly. not that hard. But, okay. but it is, it's all, it, it's maybe a, it's certainly a, probably a good idea to Sure, it's another thing I can put in. I can put in that purse of mine that weighs a ton, (laughs) you know. But I mean, you never know what you find in there. I always find (laughs) stuff in there. Like, really, I'm carrying that. But okay, so mammogram, simple, easy to do. Really, no excuse for not doing one. Why do we have such a hard time convincing women to do it? Well, I think there's, you know, some fear involved. You know, you're always worried. Is is it going to show something? Um, You know, there is some discomfort involved. You know, it's it's it is a uncomfortable or sometimes painful for for the pressure. I mean, it's very quick and, you know, the benefit far ex- exceeds the risk. But um, so far, we haven't come up with another screening modality that's as effective as mammograms because a, a lot of women, you know, will ask, well, can I do an ultrasound instead or can I do thermography instead or something like that but so far that's the mammogram is really the gold standard and really the best the best test we have and the only test that's definitely been shown to decrease the risk of women from dying from breast cancer now you mentioned thermography that would be how is that different than mammogram and is there a role for that in the standard trajectory of of screening versus diagnosis versus treatment on Disc- discussed this recently with our radiologists, but there, it's not a technology that's been proven to um, be effective at screening for breast cancer or used in conventional radiology. So, it's so a- some things are good for screening. Some things are good for diagnosis. So mammogram is gold standard for screening. Ultrasound helps with diagnosis. MRI, high-risk mm-hmm. screening, but definitely diagnostically right. could be helpful. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for those people who say, can I do anything else but a mammogram? Really, the answer is, no, you really should do your mammogram. That's the short answer. That's the short answer. No, there really isn't. You should go do it. And, you know, nowadays, they have portable mammography facilities. Mm -hmm. They have places where you can go. Women can actually self-order mammograms. Mm -hmm. There's a federal mandate if you want to do one. You go to a facility. You can order it yourself. And this can be made available to the doctor. So, again, there's no excuse. And, and certainly for anybody who wants to do it, there is a possibility. Well, all right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Lisa Grininger. And she is from Kaiser Permanente. We are talking about breast cancer, October's National Breast Cancer Awareness Month. When we come back, we are going to talk some more about what happens after the mammogram and what do you do if it's positive and you need to follow up. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. More information to follow.
Aloha and welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Lisa Grininger from Kaiser Permanente, and we are talking about breast cancer. October is National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and if you haven't done your mammogram or if you or someone you love has had breast cancer, we have some great information that may help you and them. What we want to do is I'd love to find a cure for breast cancer, but in the meantime, let's at least work on early diagnosis because that leads to earlier treatment and longer survival. Now, before the break, we were talking about the best screening test is a mammogram. There are some other tests that are often done, um, but not necessarily for screening. So if you don't like a mammogram... Right now, that's just tough because that is the best test to do. Um, but there are some other options. And again, we it, it can always be personalized to the individual. Now, Dr. Lisa, what happens? So let's say I go do my mammogram and there's something on there. What are the most common things that are seen on a mammogram that's considered, quote, abnormal? Well, the mammograms are, like we mentioned, it's the best test we have, but they're two-dimensional pictures. And... So the breast tissue can have different types of shadows. So that's the reason that they're, they're ready. the technician will actually take two views. And the standard screening mammogram, they'll take one view that's up and down and one view that's sideways. And they'll compare the images of the two breasts side by side. It's, and statistically, of all the mammograms that we do, probably 10 or 15% will get read by the radiologist with a recommendation to do some more studies. We need to check this out a little further. Sometimes there's a shadow there. Sometimes there's uh, little spots called microcalcifications. So if I get a letter, I shouldn't freak out. Because sometimes people get a letter. So you do your mammogram, you get a letter, it was normal or it wasn't, go do another test. And a lot of times women, they'll get a letter and they just go in their head, abnormal equals cancer, oh my God. Right. But they shouldn't head in that direction. They should... They should look and see what it says because you mentioned 10 or 15% out of every 100 mammograms show something. Right. And, and that the, something doesn't have to be cancer. Right. And the, the majority of those will not turn out to be cancer, but we kind of cast a big net to catch as many breast cancers as, as we can at a, as an early stage as possible. So it's fairly common if there's any kind of density or spot on the mammogram for the radiologist to recommend uh, a diagnostic mammogram where they take more pictures and sometimes another view of that particular area to really zero in on that is, is, you know, sometimes the tissue will just smooth out and there won't be any mass underneath there. Um, Sometimes if they see these little tiny spots called microcalcifications, they'll take some magnified views to try to get a better idea. Is this something that looks benign or something where we might need to consider doing a biopsy. The other thing that's often used in these circumstances is an ultrasound, because the ultrasound will actually help look at some of the dense breast tissue, and, and breast cancer sometimes will, will have a characteristic appearance on, bre- on the uh, ultrasound. So if there's an area, say, on the mammogram that looks denser or thicker than the rest of the tissue then usually the ultrasound will be helpful to look and see if there's a cyst in there or if there's a solid uh, lump that looks different from the rest of the breast tissue to see if, because the real question is, is it something that would need a biopsy or not? But of all the women called back for more studies, most of them don't turn out to be even be recommended to have a biopsy. So that's, that's important to know that most of the time it's not cancer, but we do want to check it out. 
So my first interaction might be with a radiologist sending me a letter saying, you have an abnormality. Then I go back and let's say I do more views, a diagnostic mammogram, they take a closer look, or they've done an ultrasound or some other test, and it still looks like something needs to be further evaluated. You're a breast surgeon. When do I see you? Well, for most of the um, the patients in that circumstance where there's a density or some suspicious microcalcifications where the radiologist has recommended a biopsy based on the um, results of the mammogram and ultrasound, then most of the time the um, breast care nurse will actually call the patient and arrange the biopsy. So I usually don't see the patients until after the biopsy is done. Occasionally we'll have a patient who'll want to see a breast surgeon before the biopsy to answer questions or if the patient's felt a lump. Um, you know, sometimes then we'll see the patient before the biopsy. But I think most of the time, and a lot of those biopsies turn out to be negative or benign. Um, so I don't need you yet, really. Right. I mean, you're so nice, and it's nice <laughs> to talk with you. But if I go and they say, okay, you need to do a biopsy, then the biopsy is done, and usually by the surgeon or by a radiologist who does interventions or somebody like that mm -hmm. will do a biopsy. You'll get a result. Now, A, my result is great, and I'm all happy. I never meet you. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you do my biopsy, and I say, thank you. And then I go back on my routine screening mm -hmm. and make sure that I keep that mammogram or that I know where I did it. Mm -hmm. So next year, if the same area shows up again, I don't have to re-biopsy the same thing if it looks the same. If it looks different, then that's a, a clearly a different scenario. Now, what if my biopsy is positive? Well, if your biopsy does show some signs of breast cancer, then... You, usually that result will take about 24 to 48 hours for the pathologist to have the tissue and process it. Um, the way it works in our facility is they will call a nurse on the breast. The pathologist will call the nurse on our breast care team directly, and the nurse will look in the chart to see who had actually ordered the mammogram and was following up and send a message to that provider to actually call the patient to let them know of the results and then we generally try to schedule an appointment within the surgery clinic to meet with the breast care nurse or navigator, as well as the general surgeon. We try to do it within a day or two. Now, um, what if I'm on vacation? Like if I'm out enjoying myself, maybe heading to Vegas, I don't gamble. So the chances mm -hmm. of this being me is pretty small. But let's pretend I'm in Vegas and I'm so happy I'm winning my millions. If I waited two weeks to, to take care of this, am I drastically altering the course of my existence? Or really, if it takes two weeks, don't freak out about it. Just get back to your to seeing your doctor as soon as you can, but don't let it go two months. Is that is that generally a good idea? I mean, if you find out Friday, should you freak out and try and be seen Saturday, or can you wait till Monday? Well, we usually, I mean, the general recommendation is to have treatment within about four weeks. So um, I've got some weeks. Right, I can so. still go enjoy Vegas and not fly home, oh my God. But, you know, don't freak out if it's four days. Right. Not right. a big deal. And most patients will, will come in within a week, although it, it is amazing how, how often we're working around trips to Vegas <laughs> to yeah, schedule appointments totally and that surgery. Up, but and, maybe, no, you know, I know a lot of people from Hawaii yeah. go there on vacation, and they're such good deals. Um, but okay, so, you're, so you'll see them pretty quickly. Yes. And, and then once you see them, now we'll talk in a, in a little bit about the different types of breast cancer, but once you see them, you're the surgeon. Is there any situation where... 
everybody all gets together. I mean, I think in the ideal world, you'd get your surgeon, you'd get the nurse navigator, you'd get, you know, the oncologist, the radiation oncologist, the everybody, you know, plastic surgeon, get them all together and have them all in one place so that if you have to do a procedure, you can talk to everybody pretty easily. Does that ever happen? Well, about a year ago, we started our uh, multidisciplinary breast cancer clinic, and this clinic occurs twice a twice a month, and it's exactly for that purpose where we offer it to patients who are just finding out they have breast cancer, and what that involves is um, an initial conference. We actually meet over lunch time with before the patient comes with the pathologist and the radiologist and the and only doctors could do this you know like (laughs) let's eat my salad let's have lunch let's look at tumors on the screen I mean you wouldn't necessarily have everybody else having lunchtime looking at tumors but I mean for doctors we're like yeah bring it on this Mm -hmm. this is kind of neat I mean we have this really weird kind of way to just be able to eat and look at tumors and not have problems so you're having this lunchtime meeting and you have some other members there who's there well, we have the uh, radiologist and often the mammography technicians, the ultrasound technicians, and some of the other radiologists from the department. And so we all look at the images, the mammograms, the ultrasound. If there's an MRI, we look at those pictures. It's also a way to kind of double read the mammograms. You know, now that we know this patient has a cancer, we can look at both breasts and make sure there's nothing else that, with that knowledge, that might raise more suspicions. And then the pathologist and the often residents um, will review the pictures of the actual biopsy, the tissue that was done, and they'll explain what they, what they found and what this means. And then we have the, um, the surgeon, the breast surgeon, the plastic surgeons there. Our um, radiation oncologists will come to this to give advice and answer questions as well as our medical oncologist. And so it's a way for, and then the patients we'll see later, you know, starting usually about 1.30 in the afternoon. So it's a nice way because there's so much information that all of the specialists really need to know, and it's helpful to, to know that before seeing the patients. And then we can have a discussion about, you know, if this patient wants breast reconstruction, the plastic surgeon can bring up the issues from their standpoint and the, you know, we, if we have questions about is this something that may need radiation after surgery, you know, we can get input from the radiation oncologists. So it's kind of that dream scenario. Everybody gets together. They talk about what to do. The patients are seen later that afternoon, and they're kind of told, here's what we've discussed about you. Now, here are some things, and if you want to talk to the plastic surgeon, he's over there behind room three. Yeah. We think you need radiation. Go talk to the radiation doctor. They're behind room two, and you might need some some treatment afterwards, and that person's behind room door number one. So you have everybody in this in this small space, and you have an opportunity to go ahead and one after the other after the other, see everybody, get it figured out, and get on the road to treatment and recovery. What? Well, yeah, I think that's that's helpful for a lot of the patients. For the patients who haven't, who are just coming in, generally they'll meet first with our our nurse or care coordinator, or some people would call it a navigator, and she'll go through a lot of basic information about what breast cancer is in general. 
Um, we have some um, printed information that's r- with resources, and she'll go through a lot of treatment options, what radiation is, what chemotherapy is, what types of surgery do we do, a little bit about breast reconstruction. And then they're able to meet with the breast surgeon as well as the medical oncolo- oncologist, the medical cancer specialist, and then um, the plastic surgeon if they if they wish to talk to all of those um, all of those. You've got it all in one place, and it's right there. That sounds like the dream team, I'll be honest. And I mean, people can do that pretty much at any facility, but mm-hmm. I don't think there's anywhere else on the island where everybody gets together, lunchtime meeting, let's all look at <laughs> you know mammograms and tumors, guys, and then let's talk to people right afterwards. So it really sounds like that I bet the people that you see there really appreciate having everything in one place. Have you gotten that type of feedback? I think for most of our patients, that, that's been the most, I think they appreciate the idea that all of their providers are there and they're able to communicate with each other. And I find it very helpful sometimes when we're talking about breast reconstruction and the different types to actually be in the room with the patient, with the plastic surgeon, kind of discussing the the treatment options. Um, I think there's some patients where it might be a little too much. You know, we try to offer it to all of our new patients that come in. And for some patients, they say, oh, I'll think about it. But you know, that might be a little too much, too much information. But I think for most patients, um, more information is, is better. Sure. It just, I think it depends on where you're at with the diagnosis. Because mm-hmm. certainly some people say, hey, you know what? I heard the word cancer. My brain shut off. Right. I don't right. hear anything else. Tell me what to do. I'll show up. I'll do it. And other people say, okay, I heard the word cancer. I want to know what to do. I want to take care of this all at once. Simultaneous reconstruction. I want to go back to living my life as soon mm-hmm. as possible, get everything taken care of. So it sounds like it really suits the needs of both people. You can do it the traditional way. You can do it in this in this other multidisciplinary way. You've got options. And that's really what it's about is giving people options. Now, you've alluded to the fact that, you know, a nurse would explain what is breast cancer because there's different types of breast cancer. What are the basic types? I mean, a lot of people hear about infiltrating ductal, ductal carcinoma in situ. What's the basics? What's really going on here? Well, most... Most of our breast, the breast cancers we see are the what they call the invasive ductal or infiltrating ductal type, which starts from the duct cells in the breast that carry the milk from where it's produced in the lobule to the nipple, basically. Um, and about 85% of our breast cancers are the ductal type. The other type that's less common is the invasive lobular carcinoma, which starts in the lobules or the structural elements of the breast. For most intents and purposes, we treat those very similarly with, um, you know, surgery, radiation, chemotherapy. Um, the cause, we, we don't really know. The, I guess the other term that we hear quite a bit is the in situ, ductal carcinoma in situ, which is a very early form of the invasive breast cancer, but it hasn't developed into an invasive form yet. Or it's his, in situ. It's right. in, it's in it's, one spot. It hasn't gone and infiltrated anything yet. So, and so that would still be in the breast cancer category, and you would take it out. Well, when we have a biopsy that shows in situ, uh, sometimes the whole cancer can be in that in situ stage, or what we'd consider a very early or a stage zero. Meaning, microscopically, when we look at the cancer cells under the microscope, they're still inside the ducts 
of the breast is what defines it. So, like, there's a stage zero, which is unusual. Not Mm -hmm. a lot of cancers have stage zero. So you've got zero, which is it's all in one place. Right. All right. So then there's one, two, three, and four. So if you have cancer, let's say it's not in situ, that's a stage zero. What makes a one through four? Because that doesn't necessarily depend on what type it is. It depends on what stage it is, which is slightly different. What's a one through four mean? Well, it's a way to let us know how early or advanced the cancers are. And it's a staging system that's used for just about any cancer in any part of the body. So it has to do with uh, three things. The first one is the T or the size of the cancer. Um, The second is the lymph node. You know, the lymph for breast cancer, we look at the lymph nodes under the arm. And then the other is the M, or is there any sign, what we call metastasis, is there any sign of any cancer cells out anywhere else in the body besides the breast or the lymph nodes? So if for breast cancer, an early stage or a stage one is one that's two centimeters or about an inch or less without any sign of cancer in the lymph nodes. Um, a stage two is one where it's larger than two centimeters or it may have some early lymph node involvement. And then a stage three is one that's larger or has more lymph nodes. And then a stage four is one where it's actually spread somewhere in the body besides the breast and the lymph nodes right under the arm. So those would be the stages. And so when are most people diagnosed statistically from what you see? Are they diagnosed in early stages or later stages? The most From people are see. most people are diagnosed in the earlier stages in stage zero or stage one. Occasionally, stage two. We still do see some diagnosed in stage three or stage four, uh, but the, the vast majority a little different right, with those. Right, but the vast majority are are diagnosed in the earlier stages, and the the survival rate is very very good. So, with earlier stages in general. You can be treated earlier. It won't progress. Hopefully it won't metastasize. And then when you do treat it, you have a greater chance of doing well after that. Yes. In the later stages, three or four, it doesn't mean that that's it for you. There's still options. But it means that the treatment may be a little more extensive or last a little bit longer. Correct. Correct. So when we say things like chemotherapy, we now mean more than just standard traditional chemotherapy. There's some different options, and I want to talk about that in uh, in just a few minutes. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and you're listening to The Body Show. I'm here in the studio with Dr. Lisa Grininger. She is a breast surgeon and expert from, from Kaiser Permanente, and we're talking about breast cancer. Now, October is National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and certainly if you haven't done your mammogram, we've decided there's no reason why not to. Yes, you can be afraid. Yes, you can be fearful, but knowledge is power, and if you know, we just heard about stage is one through four, the sooner you get diagnosed, the better, because earlier diagnosis equals better survival. So when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about what those stages mean and how you do treatment. And we're going to talk about some of the different types of chemotherapy that are being provided and what that means for people who are even in the midst of being diagnosed and treated with breast cancer. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us.
Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm here in the studio with Dr. Lisa Gruninger from Kaiser Permanente. We're talking about breast cancer. October is National Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And if you or someone you love has not yet done their mammogram, you can ask for a nice early Christmas gift. Ask them to do it. You could go with them. You could be their buddy, hold their hand, or or just be present and maybe even buy them lunch or dinner afterwards. Lots of good reasons to go get your mammogram. No reason not to do it. Now, before the break, we were talking a little bit about different stages. Earlier stage you get diagnosed, the better, easier to treat, easier for you, not only surgically, but also medically. And then we sort of alluded to some treatments like chemotherapy and hormone therapy. A lot of people might be familiar with words like tamoxifen or arimidex. Uh, Dr. Lisa, tell me a little bit about the different treatment options. So you have, you're a surgeon, so you do surgery. Some people do radiation. Some people do hormonal treatment. People may call it chemotherapy, but it's, it's and it kind of is, but it's more hormonal. Mm-hmm. And then there's traditional chemotherapy that people associate with hair loss and cycles and those sorts of things. Uh, tell me a little bit about the difference between those. I mean, surgery, I think, is kind of obvious. You do surgery, you take out the cancer, and or you search for lymph nodes. What about some of those other treatment mm-hmm. options? Well, I think the surgical treatment options for most women would be either the lumpectomy, you know, removing the lump, and we usually include a sentinel node biopsy or testing one of the lymph nodes. Um, most of the time off after that, followed by radiation. There's always the option of doing a mastectomy, which some women are choosing to do, which can be done with and without reconstruction. Um, after the surgery, there... Kind of depends the, on what you find. You take it out, you see, are the margins clear? Did you get all of it that you think? Right. How many nodes are involved? What would be the next step? Well, the as far as medical treatment, which is like you mentioned, um, usually considered chemotherapy, which chemotherapy are medications most often, although not always given intravenously, that kind of go through our whole body to kill any cancer cells that are anywhere outside of the breast. Um, One of the tests that's always done on all breast cancers is something called estrogen and progesterone receptors to check if the tumors are estrogen sensitive. And about 75% of the breast cancers will be estrogen receptor positive or estrogen sensitive. And so for most of those cancers, we also use medications uh, such as, you know, the one that's been around the longest is, is tamoxifen. Um, there's another medication called Arimidex or Anastrozole that's um, now being used probably even more than, than tamoxifen. And these medications are not nearly, there are some side effects, but, you know, they're much better tolerated than uh, the chemotherapy and very, very effective at helping prevent, prevent the cancer from recurring. It, they also help prevent a cancer from coming up in the opposite breast. Um, and often those, those are um, given under the uh, expertise and recommendation of the oncologist. Um, now you have to, if you're receptor positive, these particular medications may help you. If you're receptor negative, do they help at all? Uh, if the tumors are not estrogen receptor positive, then that's not then then they don't. Then they probably they won't don't work. help. So then they probably aren't going to be given. Correct, correct. There's some. There's another test called a HER2 test that's also done pretty much on all breast cancers. About twenty five percent will test what they call HER2 positive, and for those, that does indicate. Um, 
it is an indication of more of an aggressive type of a tumor. And for those um, test, those breast cancers that are HER2 positive, most there's a medication called trastuzumab or Herceptin. That's, I'm so glad you can pronounce it. I just call it Herceptin. Yeah. <laughs> I can't say that other word. Or Arimidex. I mean, I'm glad there's two names, one easy mm-hmm. one for me yeah. and a hard one for you. So, okay, so then Herceptin, it's, that's an intravenous infusion. So depending on the receptor status, whether it be mm-hmm. estrogen, progestin, progesterone, or, um, or the HER2 receptor, there may be a hormone-related treatment uh, that can be given. Or even, I guess, HER2, not hormone, but there can be a treatment given. As opposed to the traditional thought of chemotherapy, that's the cycles of chemo and those sorts of things. So that's kind of separate, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I think for most patients, either if they meet with the medical oncologist before or more commonly after the surgery, it's a very detailed kind of lung analysis of is this tumor estrogen receptor, progesterone receptor positive? What's the size of it? What's the grade of it? How do the cells look? Um, is it HER2 positive or negative? And putting that all into the context of that individual woman and what's really the best treatment plan that she and the oncologist will have a kind of a long discussion and um, kind of come up with what's the best treatment plan for her, which could include, you know, chemotherapy uh, and sometimes in addition to the hormonal therapy or possibly one or the other, really depending on the characteristics of that individual tumor. Well, and I think that's the other part of it that some people may not realize is that it's very personalized, Mm -hmm. that once you're diagnosed with breast cancer and if you've had this tumor taken out, the rest of your treatment is really individualized to what is best for you in a discussion that's fairly detailed with your oncologist. So there's still going to be a lot of decisions to make. And there may be some things that you are offered to do that sound like you want to and some that you Mm -hmm. may not be able to do because medically you might not be healthy enough for some of these other treatments. So that there is a lot of individualization of the treatment, which, again, makes the multidisciplinary approach, having everybody all together, that much more beneficial because everybody can get together and discuss it. Now, if somebody does go through all of those treatments, and let's say that they've they've decided they're doing something like Arimidex. Now, you do that for a certain number of years, and usually five or ten years that you're taking these sorts of treatments. How often do they come back to see you? So they've had cancer, they've had surgery, they've had reconstruction, they've had treatment. Do they follow up and see you about the other breast if that has not been diagnosed with cancer, what do they do after that? Who's on their team after they've been diagnosed and treated? Well, I think for most patients that are following for, after the surgery for medical treatment, you know, if they're on chemotherapy or the hormonal therapies, their oncologists will monitor them fairly closely um, because of the medical part. For the surgical part, um, we'll generally see them back the most common would be about four months after surgery. Often that's after the radiation has um, has finished for an exam and we and uh, to see when their mammogram would be due and also check their their other or their contralateral breast. And then the follow up after that would is kind of individualized to e- to each patient. Sometimes it's only with the medical oncologist. Sometimes if there's an area of concern. Um, 
that we're they're monitoring, you know, the way the breast is after the reconstruction or the or the mammog- or the um, radiation will see them in surgery clinic as well. So it kind of depends on um, the individual patient, but most patients will be followed by the oncologist or the specialist for about five years after the initial treatment. Now, if you've had breast cancer before, are you more likely to get it again? Even not metastatic, not recurrent, but a totally separate tumor? It's possible. Um, and you are, it is, having had a breast cancer does put a woman at, at a higher risk for having another breast cancer, which could be either in the opposite breast or the same breast. Uh, a, for most women who have a breast cancer, we would say that the risk of having one in her opposite breast would be somewhere around maybe 6 or 8% over her lifetime in, in general. And that's greater, greater than or less than it would be if they never had cancer? It would, it's greater than if they never had cancer. So they do have a greater chance of having it in the opposite breast. Is it always the same type of cancer? Could you have... Could you have an infiltrating ductal in one episode of cancer and then have a lobular in another? So it could be a, a different type of cancer that you develop? It could be. The um, it the ductal carcin- cancers are the more common, so it's not unusual for women who've had a, who's had a lobular cancer in one breast to have a ductal cancer later in the other breast. So it is, it's definitely possible, and you just have to be extra careful and monitor. Correct. And make sure that you do, if you've already had cancer, make sure you really do keep up with your screening testing. And and at that point, it may even be more than you expect to do screening and or follow-up. Now, if you've had reconstruction and you've had breast implants put in, you can still, if you haven't, um, if, you, if you're concerned about it, should you still do screening? Oh, yes. I think you should definitely still do screening. It's you mean if for women I mean, who have had breast implants for augmentation, yes. you know, just for if you've had um, a mastectomy and reconstruction, then you've had a mastectomy, so you really are not necessarily going to have any breast cells left. Hopefully, that would cause cancer. But if you've had an augmentation or you've had implants put in, you can still do your screening mammogram. You can still detect cancer even with implants. Yes, that's true. The implants do hide a little bit of the breast tissue, and it sometimes will depend on if the implants are within the breast tissue or under the muscle. Um, the mammography technicians do kind of special views where they kind of pull the breast tissue away from the implant, because the implant does look opaque on the on the mammography. Um, occasionally, if there's some tissue that we don't see well, an MRI is, always, is, is an option. That is one of the indications sometimes for MRI because they can kind of see the breast tissue around the implants and if it's behind the implants. It's not something that's always recommended, but um, it is a good, a good tool for women who have implants. But we would recommend doing, the, doing mammography. Now, if, again, if you've had the mastectomy and you had an implant, you don't necessarily have to keep doing screening on that side. Right. We wouldn't do mammograms if a woman on that side if a woman's had a mastectomy with reconstruction. But on the opposite side, you would? We would still do her once-a-year screening mammograms on the opposite breast. And that would be something they would want to keep doing, not just, okay, I've had cancer. I'm taking tamoxifen or arimidex. I won't get cancer because mm. I'm on this treatment. It still is possible. They should still follow up and do their yearly testing. 
Right. For right. the unaffected, still, for the unaffected still do side. Their yearly mammogram. Yes. Okay. What do you think are some of the most common misperceptions about breast cancer? You've been doing surgery for years. You've been counseling women about this. What what surprises you the most that people don't seem to understand as easily as you might expect? I mean, clearly after you explain it, they do. But what's the most common misperception that you think? Well, I think, you know, since we still, with all the information we have about breast cancer, we still don't know what the cause of it is. And it's so common that, um, and we know women now are being so proactive to, um, you know, about their health, their you know, stopping smoking, exercising, eating well, maintaining a healthy weight. But it's still possible to develop breast cancer. And, and we do see um, breast cancer in very active, healthy women that do everything right. So it's not so, your fault. I mean, right, you could be right. the perfect health person, eat perfectly, exercise perfectly, mm-hmm. be in perfect health, and still get it. Correct. You can be a couch potato and eat McDonald's all the time and still get it. It's not your fault. Right, right. Because a lot of women say, well, what did I do? Why, did, did, I do why did this happen? And and it's certainly nothing nothing that they did. You know, it's it's one of the things where we, we just still don't know. Um, do you think we'll ever know? That's a very good question because there's a lot of um, – you know, the, a lot of the newer treatments, we're learning more and more about the genetics, you know, of, of breast cancer and looking at the individual cancers and what genes they express. And it seems that there's so there's such a variety of breast cancers, you know, when we when they start looking at the genomics behind um, individual cancers. So it doesn't seem like it's one particular thing, I guess, that's causing all this breast cancer. But it's a very good question. Is it something in the environment? Is it something? um, Who knows? I mean, I think that's where hopefully we'll get more and more money to Mm -hmm. go into research to discover Mm -hmm. these things. If you look at what we used to do 20 years ago, we've come pretty far as far as breast cancer treatment. We have. I mean, our screening modalities have gotten much better. Our, Our treatment has actually gotten much better. Our breast reconstruction you know, has has really gotten better. Now we're doing some, say, nipple-sparing mastectomies. I mean, it's one of the... Um, so the surgical techniques have improved in addition yes. to diagnostic and treatment, but even in surgery, you've seen things change from the old, quote, radical mastectomy mm-hmm. to now modified, and then you mentioned sentinel lymph nodes a little bit earlier. So you don't have to take them all out. You right, look right. to see is one involved, and if it's not, you probably don't have to take the rest of them. Right. So it really does help with outcomes. Right. So we've come a long way. We still have a, a long, long way to go, but the treatment has really uh, improved and changed, and the, the cure rates have gotten gotten very, very good. Is it because we're catching people earlier? Is that why the cure rate's better? I mean, is the incidence hasn't really gone down significantly, but the, the survival rate has gotten better. Are we just getting better at getting our mammograms done? Are women just getting more on the ball with that? Or do you think it's just the treatments are better, the, the fear is less? Well, how do we, how do we attribute that? I think um, it, it is. I mean, more women are, are doing their screening. The screening's gotten better. We're, we're catching at earlier ages, I mean, at earlier stages. And the, the surgery techniques and the chemotherapy and some of the other targeted therapies have gotten much better. I think also it's maybe 20 or 30 years ago, breast cancer wasn't talked about very much. And now, 
you know, it's there's not a stigma to it, and there's a lot of support, you know. The, um, you look around at 10 of your mm-hmm. friends, and you realize yeah. two or three of you might get it. So stigma, I mean, there'd be a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of people stigmatized yeah. if that were the case yeah. because there are so many different people around you that have gotten it. You've known, you know, maybe family members or friends or other folks that have gone through this process. But we still have some outreach to do. We've got to get some folks out there doing mammograms. There are some particular ethnic communities that have higher rates of later diagnosis mm-hmm. or later stages. And that is it just a cultural thing? How can we cross over that barrier so that we can see these earlier diagnosis statistics for everybody? Yeah, no, that's a very good, um, very good point. I think, you know, there are in our state still we do see some more later diagnosis in, for example, the Polynesian, the Native Hawaiian population and some of the Filipino population where the, where the screening isn't quite as um, – prevalent as we'd like it to be. And there are groups doing education and outreach. You know, the American Cancer Society is is working on those issues. And um, all of the health plans are also um, doing everything we can to try to get as women, many women screened as possible. But we do have a ways to go. Well, and that's the nice part is I think I've seen even since I've come here about 14 years ago or so that that health plans are getting involved and getting interested and promoting doing mammography as screening. In addition to doctors who are doing it, in addition to people like the American Cancer Society, it seems like everybody's trying to work together so that we can help to diagnose earlier and treat earlier. Now, October is National Breast Cancer Awareness Month. What would be the one thing you'd want women to do to celebrate National Breast Cancer Awareness Month? Well, of course, get their mammogram. Get their mammogram. You got it. Okay. If they have friends who've never had one, just uh, go with them. Like you said, you know, go have your mammogram and go out to dinner and and celebrate. (laughs) And hopefully everything works out okay and you'll be fine after that. All right. And don't fear it the next year. Make sure you go back every year. It's not a one-time event. Right. All right. Well, I want to thank you for sharing all your expertise with us on the show today. Thanks for being on. Oh, thanks so much, Dr. Kathy. Thanks for having me. It's been an honor to be here. Absolutely my honor to have you here. Dr. Lisa Grininger is a specialty breast cancer surgeon at Kaiser Permanente, where they have a multidisciplinary clinic that meets over lunch and meets twice a week on Fridays, discussing with individuals who are affected by breast cancer, what are their options? What can you do? And these are great ways for people to get more information. If you want more information, maybe you want to hear this show again, you can click on our podcast at hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. Our engineer is David Chong. Our executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week when we are back live with some experts, and we'll see you then, Monday at 5. Mm-hmm.